It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you for joining me on this, the first Sunday of September. Dove season's opened across America on Friday, and millions of people, literally millions of people, the next fortnight will go out to try to shoot morning doves. It's, as I said last week, it's the best time for kids to get introduced to hunting. It's a wonderful time of the year. It's a social event in many parts of the world. And I'm going to take you this morning to a part of the world where that social event began for me, oh goodness, almost 40 years ago now. And I'm going to talk about an individual, but really I'm going to talk about conservation in general and how individuals can make a difference. And it's with a, it's with a heavy heart this morning that I talk about an individual who passed away this week who made an enormous difference in the conservation world. And that's Hank Burdine of Greenville, Mississippi, who was a guest on this show many, many times. And I often would get emails or letters after I had Hank on the show from people saying, I really couldn't understand that individual you had, but he was funny and he was interesting. Hank Burdine was the consummate, not only the consummate Southern gentleman, but he was the consummate conservationist among what are unsung heroes across America who have made a difference for our world. And what I want to do this morning really is talk about people who never seek the spotlight, who aren't politicians, who don't want to be known, but who make an incredible difference for for all of us and for generations to come. And Hank Bernine was was one of those. In fact, he was probably, if you put up a list of people who have done remarkable things and never sought sought any credit for them and pulled people together, Hank Bernine would be at the top of the list. He was a historian. He was an author. His book, Dust in the Road, published a couple years ago, a book of short stories about life in the Mississippi Delta and the people and the places, is one of the best reads you could possibly read about a part of the world, the Mississippi Delta, which starts, they say, in the Peabody Hotel in Memphis, Tennessee, and ends in Vicksburg, where the Yazoo dumps into the mighty muddy of the Mississippi. The Mississippi Delta is a region so rich in culture, rich in history, rich in agriculture, rich in wildlife, at one time phenomenally rich in fisheries, but no more. It's also an area that today is at the crossroads of conservation in America. It's one of the largest wintering waterfowl areas on the continent. It's an enormously important area for migratory birds. It's also an area that has been ravaged by drainage. It doesn't look anything like it did in its natural state. Teddy Roosevelt, of course, went to Onward, Mississippi, where he shot his, did not shoot his famous teddy bear. Hank wrote about that, could tell stories about it. So for a long time, the Mississippi Delta was a region of the country that was about survival. And it wasn't until an agricultural expansion, an enormous agricultural expansion, to feed America. And in the middle 80s, as our country began to have a conservation awakening, Hank Burdine was one of those individuals who bridged the gap between history, agriculture, and conservation. And I remember so very, very well, 1988, sitting in the Leroy Percy State Park in Mississippi with a hearing on the, with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and the Yazoo Basin Project. At the time, 
to be the largest drainage project the Corps of Engineers had ever undertaken to put in the world's largest pumps at the Yazoo River where it met the Mississippi so that when the Mississippi Delta flooded, the pumps could be turned on and water could be placed in Mississippi River and the the farmlands that were inundated, hundreds of thousands of of acres of farmland that were inundated often on an annual basis could be pumped dry for agriculture. And that's where I really came to first appreciate Hank Burdine when he stood up in front of this group of highly polarized individuals. You had George Riger, the outdoor editor of Field and Stream at the time, which was Field and Stream in 1988. It was a powerhouse magazine, several million readers. And when George Riger wrote things happen and Riger got up and he said, why should uncle pay for this? Meaning uncle Sam, why should the United States government plunder this, this last remaining region to drain the Azu basin? And Hank Burdine got up with all the farmers in the room and all the conservationists in the room. And he said in his eloquent Southern drawl, there's got to be a way that we can bridge this to come together. And he spent basically the rest of his life, working to have conservation and agriculture and industrial interests find common ground. He ended up being on the Mississippi River Levy Board, a position to which you're elected. Who would have thought in 1988 that Hank Burdine would be elected to one of the most powerful positions in, in all of transportation, the Levy Board Commission, certainly in Mississippi. And he went on in his life to spend his entire time trying to have common ground found never heard the man raise his voice in any kind of meetings he was always the person who listened and then when he spoke he spoke eloquently about how we need to find common ground how we need to find civility and this week in mississippi he's laid to rest but the legacy of hank burdine and other people like him is that we have to find common ground in conservation we have to be civil to each other, and I know you, those of you who listen, most Sundays you know that I talk about this a lot. We have lost civility in our dialogue when it comes to many things in America, but particularly when it comes to conservation. We can't have extreme positions and expect to find common ground. We have to look for the middle somewhere. And today, in the Mississippi River Delta, in the, in the Delta of Mississippi, we're finding that common ground There now is a discussion about building the pumps in the Yazoo River at the outlet so that we can have wildlife and agricultural benefit. Instead of having just agricultural benefit at the expense of of wildlife, now we're discussing building pumps so that we can save forests from inundation, so that we can save deer, so that we can save bears, so that we can save turkeys, and we can work together. The reason the pumps are needed is because there's been so much drainage done in the Mississippi Delta with water going to the Yazoo and Sunflower and Steel Bayou and other Delta streams, Bogue, Falaya, and others, that the water all now gets to the mouth of the Yazoo so much faster than it ever did, causing this great big backwater to occur during flooding times. And a couple of years ago, I had the pleasure of riding with Hank Burdine and his levee board truck through closed roads and seeing nearly half a million acres of prime farmland underwater, but also seeing hundreds of thousands of acres of fabulous timberland underwater, dead deer all over the sides of the, of the levees, the only place the deer could go. Everything was dying, and that water stayed for months and months. And Hank said to me, we did this to ourselves, and now we have to fix it ourselves. 
And that was his entire way he looked at life. How can we build common ground? How can we find areas where we can work together? And here's a man from Greenville, Mississippi, an outstanding sportsman, a great horseman, an individual that I caught bonefish with in the Bahamas and shot ducks with in Idaho. And goodness knows how many times I hunted with him in the Mississippi Delta at his farm or other places. Here's a guy who spent his life bringing people together and celebrating, really celebrating the richness, in this case, of the Mississippi Delta. Not many people take the time to do that. Not many people have the interest. But when you think about areas of the country that have been saved or being worked to be improved from a conservation perspective, it's almost always an individual who leads this, who's not up there pounding in front of a television or trying to get attention on social media. It's an individual who's working to do the right thing behind the scenes. So conservation across America, whether it's in the Pacific Northwest or down in the the Okeechobee in Florida, or excuse me, in North Florida or down in the Everglades, in the Okefenokee, wherever it might be, there are generally individuals who are making things happen. And the legacy of Hank Burdine is he was one of those individuals, a kind man, who believe that we can find common ground. So he will be missed in the conservation world dearly. His writings will will live forever. For those of you listening and want to get dust in the road, I promise you it'll be one of the great readings. But really my message this morning is we need to work together, as I often say, to find common solutions. And the other thing before I go to the break I'll say is, and it hits me hard and I'm sure it hits many of you hard, do things while you can. Hank Burdine and I, for years, had planned to travel the length of the Mississippi together and to write a book while we were doing it on the Mississippi and the Corps of Engineers. This had been a plan of ours for over 20 years. And each year we said, next year, next year we're going to do it. Well, next year now is no more. So when you make plans to do things in life that you think can be extraordinary, do them. Don't put them off because there may not be a tomorrow. And I may still make that boat ride down the Mississippi River, but when I do, it won't be with the individual who hatched the idea with me, and it won't be a book written with an individual who was such a profound writer. It'll be with his spirit. So go and do the things that are important in life while you can. That's the message, I guess, this morning. The world's going to miss Hank Birdeye, and the Mississippi Delta is going to miss him terribly. Conservation across America is also going to miss another one of his unsung heroes. Thanks for being with me. I'll be back in just a moment with much more in the Great Outdoors show. And when I do, how about that moon we had this week? And also a little bit about forestry, something we really don't think about. This is Charlie Potter and the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN, and first a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. Hiking, camping, and hunting, it's all an adventure in the great outdoors, but nature can be tough. You need to be ready for anything and everything. Chevy Silverado is built to handle the toughest conditions and get you everywhere you want to go worry-free. Silverado's designed to handle the big jobs. It's built for the great outdoors. With over 13,000 pounds of towing capacity and trailering sway control, Silverado can haul the biggest loads on the roughest roads and keep you cool as a Sunday drive. With eight available cameras and up to 14 different views, it can spot trouble before it gets to you. That's peace of mind. 
And when you're ready for the backcountry, Chevy Silverado 1500 ZR2 owns the off-road. You name it, we run over it. No wonder it's Motor Trend's 2023 four-wheeler pickup truck of the year. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and check out a Chevy Silverado. It's freedom to explore the great outdoors. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here. Thank you so much for being with me this morning on the first Sunday morning of September, the time of the year when everything suddenly seems to go at a faster pace. And talk about that more in the coming weeks. But Hemingway loved the fall. And I often talk about that. It's the time of the year when our pulse quickens and we just we want to be outside because everything's an urgent hero, urgent hurry. Right now, not quite so urgent. Here we are, September 3rd. We're not urgent yet. There's hopefully a lot of summer ahead of us. One of the things I wanted to just mention briefly was, for those of us in the Midwest or wherever you might be listening who had the benefit of having clear nights on Tuesday and Wednesday night this past week, how about that moon? I happen to be near a forest preserve district in Kane County, on a Tuesday night when the moon came up one day short of being the super full moon, the, the blue moon of the month, standing out with a fishing fly rod in my hand and hoping to make a few casts, which I did as the last of light went by. And the moon rose up over the trees and it illuminated the, the pond, small lake I was fishing on. And it just made time stand still. And it made me think all across the heartland because the land it was generally clear this week we were able to see an extraordinary sight the closest the moon's going to be to the earth apparently and we won't see the site again for over 20 years the, sec- the second moon full moon of the month of rarity called a blue moon and it was a huge moon they call it the king's tide moon and unfortunately for those in south carolina along the coast the king's tide moon coincided with the tropical storm that had been a hurricane and devastation occurred, which is incredibly sad in many low-lying areas. But in the Midwest, we were able to stand at farm ponds or along rivers, wherever you might have been, and watch this moon come up over cornfields or soybean fields. And it's a very, it was just a peaceful moment. And I stood there with my friends looking at this moon, just, just marveling at the beauty that nature sometimes offers. So it's past. If you missed it, I'm afraid you missed it. There'll be lots of full moons ahead, but there won't be another moon like that moon we had this week for, I guess, over two decades. And if you were able to get out and see it, whether you're watching it rise over Lake Michigan or a farm pond or wherever you might have been, it's a sight you likely won't forget soon. It was one of those special moments. With the time I have left, I just want to talk briefly about forests. We're headed to that time of the year when the greenery around us and the, the brilliance of summer fades into autumn. Pretty soon we'll start hearing leaves rustle instead of leaves just blowing gently in the wind. And the rustling will will cause the leaves to fall, the drying out of the leaves, and the forests become a tapestry of colors that are just extraordinary. And depending on where you are, the maples and and the oaks and and all the, the multiple species, the hickories, the walnuts, the sycamores, everything that make up our forest comes to life in the fall as it actually prepares for winter hibernation. But it makes me think about how little we know about our forests. And I was on a, a meeting the other day 
with an individual who's in the forestry conservation business. And he said, you know, one of the saddest jokes we have, it's not a joke, is that we charge people to take a plastic, we charge people to take a paper bag now in some states in a supermarket because they forgot to bring their own bag. A paper bag, we charge them to take a paper bag. The comment was, why on earth would we do this? We need to be managing, and that means harvesting our forests. And yes, harvesting is another word for cutting, but forest management in the United States has lost its ability in many cases because of environmental rules that don't make sense, are not backed by science, and and also by individuals who look at a tree and say the tree should never be cut. The reality is that tree is going to die, and when that tree passes its prime, it needs to be harvested, and it needs to be turned into things like paper bags. We shouldn't be penalizing people for using paper bags. We should be encouraging them to use paper bags. If anything... We should be penalizing all of us for using so much plastic. We're going to find out in the coming decades, and we're already finding out that plastic is just one of the absolute worst things we've ever come across in the creation of, of usable goods. While it's in, it's in everything we do, we use plastic. I mean, I don't think probably a moment goes by you're not doing something in your life that's, that's impacted by plastic or made from plastic. Plastic is terrible for our environment. We're understanding this. Paper is a recyclable product. We're going to learn more this fall about forest management because I think it's one of those issues that as we move forward in conservation, as I spoke at the beginning of the show, Hank Burdine and other individuals, Hank Burdine loved forests. We as Americans don't understand forests very well. We don't understand the need to manage them. We don't understand how to manage them in a large way. And certainly our government and many, many in American society and around the world look at a forest like the Amazon and say, never cut a tree. That's a different kind of forest. We don't have those kind of rainforests in America. We have forests that need to be managed and been managed since the beginning of time by fire and other natural elements. So more to come on that. But when you go out this this week and in the coming weeks in the fall and the leaves start to turn, Think a little bit about how we can have healthier forests in America because we need to. And the fires that occurred this summer and poison the air in New York and Chicago and Washington, D.C. and elsewhere, a lot of that's the result of us not managing our forests. Thanks so much for being with me today. Have a great week and the great outdoors. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.